Oramai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. In their own way, each of our topics today are quite challenging, but both have at their heart a desire to care for the safety and well-being of people, but in two very different settings. Psychologist Dr Lisa Oakley will be talking about spiritual abuse, and Tommy and Brooke Harrison are a couple of street angels. Ruth Rice is back with us again, and our notice board has several invitations for you to join in Harvest Thanksgiving celebrations over the coming week, so we're reflecting that season in our music today, starting with Come Ye Thankful People Come, Raise the Song of Harvest Home. Huddersfield Choral Society there and the Harvest Hymn, Come Ye Thankful People, Come. The two words, spiritual abuse, don't sit comfortably together. 
I don't want to think of our churches or religious organisations as being places where people are made to feel uncomfortable or even distressed by things that are said and unreasonable expectations that might be placed upon them. But in order to build a healthy culture where this can't happen, there needs to be awareness and sensitivity, and for good practices to be firmly in place so that, if problems do arise, they can be safely recognised and resolved. And to help in this, our local safeguarding advisor, Tony Connell, who works with churches of all denominations on the island, invited psychologist Dr Lisa Oakley to lead a morning based around recognising and avoiding spiritual abuse. That was on Friday. And when it ended, I had a few moments to reflect with Lisa about what she'd been saying. Lisa and her husband Tim are committed Christians, very involved in the life and ministry of their local church in Crewe in Cheshire. And as Lisa revealed at the start of her talk, the eldest of their two daughters showed at the tender age of about three that she had, well, you might say, miraculous powers. When I was pregnant with my youngest daughter, my oldest daughter wanted a baby sister on her birthday. And we did try and explain that we couldn't order a sister and she wouldn't come on her birthday because she wasn't due for some weeks after that. But every night uh, she prayed that she would have a baby sister on her birthday and her baby sister did turn up on her birthday. And following that, my husband did say to her very quickly, don't ever pray that again, we're done now. So, <laughs> Lovely story. So tell me a little of your background, please. Okay, so I, I work in psychology at the University of Chester. I've been a psychology lecturer for a long time now, probably about 25 years. I used to work at Manchester Met and I am a Christian. I go to church and about 21 years ago, I started to research this area called spiritual abuse, which people weren't really talking about at all here, but there were some books talking about that within the States and that's kind of where I started looking at this whole area called spiritual abuse. There somehow seems to be a contradiction, doesn't it? You don't necessarily want to put those two words together. No, and I think actually in one of the pieces of research we did, somebody actually just said just that, you know, these two words shouldn't be put together. And I think that's true. I think that the term itself, spiritual abuse, has been to some extent controversial. And I think we need to be honest about that. But I think that what's really important is that when people are experiencing harm, and in some way that harm is related to their spiritual or religious beliefs, or so it's happening within in a religious context or with a religious justification, that we need to acknowledge that in the same way that we would acknowledge any form of harm that people are experiencing. So what is spiritual abuse, Lisa? Spiritual abuse is a form of psychological abuse of adults or emotional abuse of children, so that's where we would put it into those categories that's characterised by a systematic pattern of controlling coercive behaviour, either within a religious context or with a religious justification or rationale. Do you think this is an area where people have been victims of this but not realised that that is what's happening to them? I think definitely because the terminology itself is new and emerging. I mean, it's been around for a while, but I think not commonly used, particularly not used within the UK or, or, or the Isle of Man. So I think that it definitely is in that position. But if you look back at other forms of harm, financial abuse, but that's a newer terminology and has been something that we've recognised more recently than perhaps something like domestic abuse. But with all forms of harm, there is a process 
process by which people start to recognise harm and then they might start to recognise the different ways in which that harm might be perpetrated. So with domestic abuse, at one point, it was seen as a marital issue and something that statutory agencies didn't get involved in. And then it was seen, no, this is something that needs to be addressed. But then we've grown our understandings about the fact that males can be victims of domestic abuse and that children can perpetrate that towards their parents and carers. So so lots of forms of harm we, we have learned about over time and grown to understand more. And the word abuse, it needs to be used very carefully because this isn't about violence. It's the emotional damage about pressures being put upon people, expectations. Some of the work that we've been doing is trying to help people understand, well, where does behaviour fit? So we've got this diagram. At the one end, we've got green, which is, you know, what's really healthy and good about what's happening within our face cultures. And there is plenty of that. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that. And then we might look at what's unhelpful behaviour, which we all do at times, where we don't communicate well or we're defensive, a little bit defensive, and we might recognise that and address it. When we get into patterns of behaviour, that might become unhealthy. And then if we get to a point where we're witnessing behaviour that would fit into the category of psychological abuse of adults or emotional abuse of children, and there's a systematic pattern of highly controlling coercive behaviour within a religious context or with that religious rationale or justification, it might cross that threshold into spiritual abuse. Now, we're having this conversation at the end of a, a morning seminar that, that you have led where it, it was packed with information, but there was a lot that was more positive than negative, and I think that's very important to say that, that it was just bringing this out as a, as a subject that all churches of all denominations need to be aware of if we truly want to be life-giving and supportive and, and a place where everybody feels understood. Yeah, I mean, we, when we do the, the work like we did this morning, we looked at spiritual abuse, but we always look at healthy cultures as part of this because really what we were trying to do here is to say, let's try and prevent harm from happening in these contexts. Let's try to identify it earlier when it does occur. Um, and let's try to respond well and effectively. And so part of what we've been looking at together is, well, what does healthy look like then? And uh, how do we create healthy cultures in which everybody thrives and flourishes? So the work, although addressing harm is is part of the work and it's a really important part, so is how do we create safer, healthier cultures for the future? You did have a list of examples. Could you just briefly run through those? So the whole experience is one of coercion and control, but how that is enacted can be different. So there is often a lot of pressure to conform, and that might be a a lot of pressure to go to lots and lots and lots of meetings, but that might be equated to your relationship or commitment to God. We also sometimes see enforced accountability, so having to be accountable to somebody, not having much autonomy and choice about who that person is or what information is shared with that person. We often see a lot of censorship, so um, the inability to ask questions, to disagree and to speak out if if you, you have a concern about what's happening. We also see the use of scripture to justify or to as a rationale for behaviour, so we might see some messages, I call them biblical discourses, but big messages around things like forgiveness, which in and of itself can be really, really positive message. But if it's used to say, well, you have to forgive because you're a Christian, therefore you can't speak out about harm, then that can be really, really unhelpful and harmful. And we, we might also see the use of divine positions. So God's appointed me, therefore you can't question. 
and we might see the use of spiritual threats so you know um what what god might think of you or what might happen to you if you don't do what you're being asked to do i think one thing that's really important to say is you might not see all of the characteristics in every case but you would definitely see that coercive control i also think it's important to be really clear that we have heard over the time we've been doing the work lots of stories of leaders who've had these experiences as well so one of the things we're saying is if we're going to build healthy cultures we need to be protecting and looking after our leaders in the same way that we we want to protect everybody that's it within our congregations and perhaps the leaders who have these experiences might be even more hidden in terms of their stories. Now you're very experienced in this Lisa, and I have to say that I have nothing but admiration for you for, for leaping into an area that's going to produce a lot of emotion in the people who hear you and, and the people who respond either defensively or appreciatively and I'm not expecting you to give us the, the answer to all of this but is it openness and dialogue that's going to get us onto a better footing with, with this? What, what should somebody do if somebody's listening to this and thinking oh that sounds a bit familiar what would you encourage them to do? I think if somebody's listening and they're feeling like they have had this experience, then I think here there are people that they can they can speak to and there are safeguarding officers on the island. There are a, a variety of people that they could go and speak to about the experience that they have. There is also an organisation called Replenished Life, which you can find on the internet. They offer a free helpline to speak to people totally confidentially about the experiences that they have. So I think if, if that's the position you're in, those are places that you could go I think if you're in a in a different position where you're sort of thinking that it's not my experience but how do we begin to do work in this area I think the first thing is to to do what we've been doing today which is start to have some conversations about this and when you have those conversations people you know will often sit and talk about yes we know these things happen how do we address them how can we work better together but I think where we're not talking about it then that means that if people are experiencing it they're not hearing their story told they don't know that that they can tell their story and we're not equipping people to respond well when those stories are told. So I think raising awareness is really, really important. Dr Lisa Oakley, thank you very much indeed for being with us and for talking with us this morning. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Glad that I live am I That the sky is blue For the country lanes And the fall of dew After the sun, the rain After the rain, the sun This is the way of life Till the work be done All that we need to do Be we low or high Is to see that we grow Nearer the sky More Harvest-inspired music there from Asher Elijah. Glad that I live, am I. And before that, I was talking with psychologist Dr. Lisa Oakley about spiritual abuse.
And if there was anything that Lisa said that gave you concerns about safeguarding issues, do please talk to a safeguarding officer. All churches have them and they're there to help and advise. And the All Ireland Safeguarding Advisor, Tony Connell, is always available to listen and help. You can contact him on 829353. 829353. All that we need to do, be with our heart, is to see that we grow nearer the sky. Is to see that we grow nearer the sky. What is a street angel and what does it take to be one? Well, my next guests have all the answers. So let's welcome 20-year-old street angel Brooke Harrison and her dad, leading street angel Tommy Harrison. The only thing you really need to have to go out and be a street angel is to want to look after people who are vulnerable. And however they've become vulnerable, whether it's by their drinking too much or whether they're lost or whether they're ill, whether they've been in an accident. If you want to help people who are vulnerable, then that's what a street angel is. That's the only real quality that you need. And where do you go to be a street angel? It started in Douglas in 2010. Then there was a a short break and then we started again in Peel and we've moved back to Douglas. So at the moment it's operating in Peel and Douglas. We are hoping to expand out to the rest of the island, but small steps at the moment. All the street angels are volunteers, nobody's paid, and we go out in groups of three. Sometimes we can go out all night and the team will say, well, it's been a quiet night and nothing's happened. But we might have spoke to 20 or 30 people. We might have been seen by three or 400 people. They know that we're street angels. And it kind of lets people know that there's a bit of love in the world and that there's somebody out to look after them just to see that they're okay. I'm not saying that other people don't do that, but when they see that we specifically given our time to put on a jacket and walk the streets. It just, I, I just think it lightens up the streets a little bit. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it, Tommy, because you put your, your, your high-vis jackets on and you stay out all night. I think the most important thing that we do out there is we just talk to people and, and sometimes people are lonely. They might not have spoke, spoken to anybody all day and we'll just talk to them. Brooke, let me bring you in at this point. Why do you want to do it? Because I've been in vulnerable situations and there's been somebody come along to help and it has really made a difference to my life. So I just want to be that for somebody else. Have somebody who doesn't know the way to the bus station or you've run out of money to get a taxi or you just get too cold and you feel ill and so many different things that can happen that can make you vulnerable. And once you become vulnerable, it's easy to become helpless. Yeah, definitely. We wear high-vis jackets and one of us usually has a backpack on so you can see us from a mile off if you need help. What do you have in your backpack? We have a first aid kit. We have flip-flops for people who've lost their shoes or can't walk in their heels or whatever. We have foil blankets to keep people warm. If somebody's had too much to drink and they just want some, some water, we'll give them water. We bring a dustpan and brush and bags, which we use to sweep up broken glass. There's usually a broken bottle every night to sweep up and that stops people stepping on it and animals walking on broken glass. It's also restoring people's dignity. Because nobody wants to be in that situation. Yeah, definitely. Nobody wants to be drunk on the side of the road with everybody seeing them or just in a vulnerable place. And we definitely try and restore that as much as we can. 
Have you got a good relationship with the police? Do they appreciate what you're doing? We do have a very good relationship with, I say, the control room because they're the people that we phone and we just tell them what our issue is and then they decide whether they're going to send an ambulance, whether they send the police, but we let them decide who they're going to send out. We keep a, a dignified distance from the police because we don't want people to think that we are police. We're not out there to report crime. We're there to help vulnerable people. But saying that, we do have our boundaries, so we will always report violence violent crime and 100% we will always phone in if there's children involved. But strangely enough, when we'd done Street Angels in 2010, after two years, street crime fell by 17%, which is a common thing to happen with Street Angels when they're out, is that street crime does fall. I have no idea why, but in big cities it can fall by up to 50%. Street Angels is a national movement that you have planted here on the island. I think the team ranges from 19 to 80, so we have got a big age range. We also have like delivery drivers who help us and people around, especially Peel, really recognise us and know when to point us in the right direction. Building up that network with different people around about who know you're going to be there, know that you're going to know what to do. In Peel, we've networked really, really well with the people of Peel, drivers and taxi drivers. They get to see a lot of what's happening so they can point us out and say there's a bunch of kids down on the prom that are drinking too much and we can go and see them. Sometimes people just walk up to us and say there's somebody over there that needs help so it's really good to, to build a good rapport with people in the community but we we certainly do, we do encourage people to phone the police if there's a big issue but working with the community is absolutely essential. We're known in Peel and we're starting to get known in Douglas. Well, it's great to see that the Street Angels are back in force. So if somebody wants to know more with a view to perhaps becoming a Street Angel, how do they get in touch with you, Brooke and Tommy? How do they do that? Well, there's a Facebook page, which is Street Angels Isle of Man, and you can message us through that. Message me, Tommy, on 451831. 451831. Street Angels, another great example of putting faith into action. Committed Christians Tommy and Brooke Harrison there talking about their outreach, walking the streets of Peel and Douglas through the night with a helping hand for anyone who has, for whatever reason, become vulnerable. And those contact details again, go to facebook.com and search for Street Angels Isle of Man or ring or text Tommy on 451 and now it's time to welcome back Manx-born Ruth Rice, founder of the mental health charity Renew Wellbeing, cafe-style spaces where everyone is helped and encouraged to find their own path to inner peace and wholeness. And whilst everyone and anyone is welcome at Renew without pressure or judgment, Ruth's own deep faith puts God at the centre of all she does. Based on her own experiences of breakdown, Ruth has created for us a personal A to Z of well-being in the hope that the tips and coping strategies that she has found helpful might help us too. We've now reached the letter R. R is for resting thought rate. So this is a little phrase I kind of made up when I've been thinking about how very often the mental and emotional battle for me is going on practically all the time because in my head there's always about 20 conflicting thoughts. I wake up thinking about loads of stuff. I mean, I'm so jealous of my husband because he'll wake up and I'll say, what are you thinking about? And he'll go, nothing, I've just woken up. I'm like, oh, I'm always thinking about stuff. 
What I realised, though, over the time of not being well and kind of being overwhelmed by anxious thoughts is that I can choose what I think about. And taking a little phrase out of the Bible, a little phrase that's always good and true. So, for example, it's Psalm 63 that I'm meditating on this week. And there's a little phrase that says, Lord, your love is better than life. I want to make that my, what I call my resting thought rate. So what I mean by that is, you know, like your resting heart rate is when you're at rest and your heart sort of settles. When I'm at rest and my mind begins to settle, what does it settle on? Does it settle on a worry or a concern or does it settle on something good and true? And I've begun to realise if I meditate on something good and true at the start of the day and every time I pick up a copper during the day, then when I come to rest, my thoughts can come to rest as well. So, ah, resting thought rate, if that's any help to you. Thank you, Ruth Rice. And Ruth will be back on next week's programme, but not with another letter from her personal alphabet of well-being. Next week, Ruth will be here with a personal invitation to meet her when she's back on the island at the end of this month, leading a well-being retreat at Tide of A. House of Life, our retreat centre based at Bala Wattleworth House in Peel. Details of Ruth's wellbeing retreat are available now at the Tide of A website and the web address is really easy, retreathouse.im and listen out for Ruth next week explaining what her wellbeing retreat is all about. And now let's take a look at our notice board. You're invited to the Dolby Harvest Home this evening at half past six in Dolby Church with harvest hymns and reflections by Paul Costain, Phil Gorn and Jean Cowan talking about harvest, past and present. Paul is also the soloist for the service which will be followed by supper in the schoolrooms and an auction of baking and produce. Tomorrow it's Super Monday at Colby Methodist Church. Pop into the church lounge between noon and one o'clock to enjoy a bowl of homemade soup and fresh bread. There's no charge, but any donations to help with costs would be most welcome. This Friday there'll be the usual weekly coffee and chat from half past ten in St Thomas's Church here in Douglas, just off the promenade by the Gaiety Theatre. And as it's the first Friday of the month, it'll be followed by lunch, served between noon and half past one, with a warm welcome for all. The very popular Harvest in the Barn service at Ballacreggan Farm in Glen May takes place this Friday, October the 7th, at 7pm. There'll be traditional Harvest hymns and readings, with music led by Crosby Silver Band. Reverend Joanna Smart will preach and there'll be refreshments after the service and that'll be followed by an auction of produce. Ballacreggan Farm is at the end of the Sound Road in Glen May. Go to the bottom of Glen May Hill and follow the signs to harvest in the barn. Everyone will be made very welcome. Looking ahead now to next weekend and next Saturday the 8th, the Ireland Spirituality Network meets at St John's Mill. The speaker this month is Reverend Richard Carter of the Nazareth Community, which is based in St Martin in the Fields Church in London. The theme is The City is My Monastery, a Contemporary Rule of Life. The morning runs from 10am to 1pm and Church's Bookshop will be there too with a wide selection of books, greetings cards and gifts. A chance for you to do some early Christmas shopping during the mid-morning coffee break. 
Next Sunday, October the 9th, it's Harvest Festival at Port Erin Methodist Chapel and this will be particularly special as it will also be the last service in the present chapel before they move out of the building and into the Sunday School where all future services will be held. The harvest service next Sunday morning will be at half past ten and Ruth Kegin Gell will be singing. Her grandmother, Esme McCaig, was the organist in Port Erin some years ago. And on the Saturday evening, the 8th, there'll be an evening of nostalgia and memorabilia and a harvest supper starting at five o'clock when Paul Costain will be singing. That's all next weekend in Port Erin Methodist Church. Bride Methodist Chapel invites you to their Harvest Festival service next Sunday afternoon at half past two. Please note the change of time. The preacher will be Reverend David Shirtliff and there'll be items by the Sunday School children and the service will be followed by afternoon tea. That's Bride Methodist Chapel next Sunday afternoon at half past two. Also next Sunday, the 9th, there's a concert in Lazare Church and Arts Centre next Sunday evening at a quarter past seven. It's an evening of Baroque instrumental music presented by the Burn Bray Ensemble and the Kirk Michael Chamber Orchestra. Admission is free and there'll be refreshments served during the interval. Parking will be in the field below the church with people there to help and guide. There is limited parking by the church itself and there's wheelchair access into both the church and the toilet facilities. And that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back tonight at nine o'clock for sundown. Easy listening music to round off your weekend. And I'd love you to join me if you can. Do please email me if you've got items for the notice board. My address is judithlay at manxradio.com. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. The Nation Station Manx Radio